And now I will give you the secret for perfect enlightenment, providing VMC conditions prevail. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. The first of the second century. The first of the second Ooh, century. Sounds... It was like we were saying on email earlier. It's UCAP 101. It's sort of a college freshman introductory course. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll leave it to listeners to de- to, to describe the syllabus. And, uh, and uh, I, uh, we'll leave it to the listeners to even get the word educational anywhere close to UCAP. But that's exactly. up to them. That's right. That's right. Uh, remedial educational, perhaps. There but, you go. There you go. Uh, so, d- yeah, Dave, there are certain things that you do learn here remedially, like the twist-off characteristics of some beer cap. Exactly. Okay. Thank you. We'll exactly. move on. Thanks. That's that'll do. That'll do. All right. Exactly. David, what's this? so? David, you, what, you were showing one. us. You were showing us this link about. It's been that way for two years, and I'm used to it. Uh, it David, you were you were pointing out this link to us. This video, kind of cool video about the U2 landing on the the on a carrier. I, I think I understand what that was all about. But what was it all about? It was me, actually. No, it's it's carrier was, trials. Yeah. Of a U two. That was trying yeah. to demonstrate. Yeah, that trying was, to demonstrate whether or not it can land on a on a carrier, and it's just it's just so odd. It is. I'm odd. surprised that it can even clear the island, much less you know. Oh, you mean like and, with the wingspan? Yeah. Yeah, the, I agree. The U two also notoriously hard to land. Because of the of the wing, the wings generate so much lift right. that trying to do a spot landing in a U two is an exercise in futility. Yeah. So well, I came across this video, and here's you know some guy with obviously more hair than I'll ever have. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually catching a wire, and then they put a you know God knows they put a tail hook on a U two. Mm-hmm. This guy is in this video is almost five minutes long. Just, well, the thing that struck just me is landing that, after landing after landing of this guy, you know, making passes at this. It's a it's an angled carrier, so it's a relatively modern carrier, um, and then launching from the carrier. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, the part that struck me about the video watching it was my understanding of carrier landings is that you basically fly it right onto the deck. I mean, it's not like right. you've stalled, you know, you kind of do a, you know, a stalled landing onto the exactly. point. Exactly. You, know, uh, you, you just basically fly, slam it onto the deck and hope you grab one of these wires. Um, and as a result, uh, carrier qualified aircraft are required to be much more durable, much, much exactly. more, you know, stronger. And I never had the impression that a U2 would. I keep wanting to say YouTube. A YouTube would uh, be strong enough to take that beating, you know. Um, but uh, well, that's, that's another issue too. I, I think this is, you know, something that they maybe just wanted to kind of have in the in the in the hip pocket. Yeah, yeah. Um, if they ever, well, you know, that, if they, that's interesting. If that's they ever wanted, if a YouTube ever got to a situation where it needed. To land and couldn't land in hostile territory or, or whatever, right. and they had a carrier nearby, they could put it down on a carrier, and in fact, 
launch it again once it was repaired yeah. or refueled. Or now, the takeoffs were interesting, too. I was curious, and I couldn't tell from the video whether they were actually launching it off the catapult or whether you know they were able to just do you know because that's got such you know lift i, I think, think you could they, do a, a normal they, short field takeoff from the carrier yeah you, you almost could and i can't tell either if they're if they're using uh the catapult with the with the aircraft carrier obviously steaming into the wind you know you've got you know 30 40 knots maybe already over the u2 and then with it lightly loaded yeah i don't know um, I, I can't imagine that a U-2 will get off at 60 knots or something, but maybe it would, yeah. lightly loaded. I don't know. Well, we saw it fly at Oshkosh, uh, one of NASA's research. I missed that particular demonstration. So, And, and uh, it gets off in, in, an, in an awfully big hurry mm-hmm. from well, uh, a runway like Oshkosh and then climbs out at this uh, really, really quite... Uh, impressive it, it, angle. It, it is an impressive angle of uh, angle of climb. The you know the, the best rate of climb speed is relatively low because it's got so much wind. Yeah. That's right. I remember a story, uh, that and that's said. where you know that that's where being able to do carriers, uh, and you know we we've got to got to acknowledge that there could well be some significant structural mods done exactly to an airplane like this that we'd never see here. And they've already put a tail hook on it, of course, obviously. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but uh, my, my hat's off to the brass on it, and it re- reminds one of an actual World War II mission, uh, Doolittle's Raiders, where they launched B-25s. Yeah. Off an aircraft carrier. Now that's and, some amazing and, and video. Bomb Japan. Yeah. Well, today happens to be the anniversary of the first flight ever done on instruments in instrument conditions. And that oh, was Jimmy oh. Doolittle on yeah. this date in 1929. Yeah, really. So there's a connection between this on the U-2 carrier landings and the first instrument flight ever flown. Uh, and, and Doolittle was the one that came up with this harebrained idea of flying B-25s off an aircraft carrier. So it shows you what kind of uh, what kind of confidence he had in himself. Uh, uh. And not coincidentally, it's it's um, 15 years to the week since he passed. Yep. Wow. wow. Hey, getting back to the U-2 on the carrier for a second, or, or the fact that a U-2 can take off very steeply, there was a story mm-hmm. that used to go through the uh, pilot community when I was flying out of Palo Alto, California, that involved U-2s taking off from Moffett Field, which is uh, Moffett, formerly Moffett Naval Air Station, which is just four or five miles to the south of Palo Alto Field. Uh, and uh, and the story was something along the lines of, what was it? It was something like that the, the U-2 or, or some aircraft, I think it was a U-2 or maybe it was some other high-performance jet or something, was was like, you know, in position and ready to go, but he was got given a hold because they couldn't, the airspace wasn't clear, that he couldn't do mm-hmm. a normal climb out. And right. so they had him holding and waiting. And at one point, the pilot said something along the lines of, you know, so, you know, how high do you need me to be before I reach the airport boundary? You know, and they said, you know, <laughs> 10,000 feet, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and they said something like, well, how high could you be? And he said, he said what if I can get to 14,000 feet before I reach the airport boundary? <laughs> and they said, cleared for takeoff. And this uh-huh. guy went and uh-huh. went straight up and uh-huh. uh, managed to keep all the airspace clear. And, uh, and I'm, that was either you know, a U, something like a U-2 uh-huh. or it was a lightly loaded jet fighter. Yeah. Um, I, I, had, I don't know if I've told this story before. A buddy of mine was telling me, you know, of course, it's third, third hand, so take it for whatever you want. A um, buddy of mine's flying a, a shorts uh, several years ago uh, on a scheduled route, 
And of course, the shorts is the box, you know, the the uh, uh, the U two came in. But anyway, he's flying his shorts at, at you know ten thousand feet on a on a scheduled route, and he's going over. I don't know, probably Seymour Johnson Air Force Base because he's flying out of Raleigh, mm-hmm. going down to the Saint. I mean, not Saint, not Saint Thomas, but uh, Hilton Head, and. Um, Controller comes on and says, "I got a, I got a fast mover. I'm going to launch below you, uh, but he's going to stop his climb at, you know, ten thousand or nine, ninety five hundred or nine thousand feet or whatever the number was." And my buddy's like, "Yeah, I don't think so. I don't trust some twenty three year old in some, you know, fi- um, uh, jet fighter coming off of some runway and going ballistic underneath me. Uh, let's let's take a vector out of here." And that's what he did. But the punchline is, they can do that kind of, they have that kind of performance. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially lightly loaded. Yeah. But um, I always like the old, the, the old. Uh, I don't know if it's true or not. Um, story of the the two guys in the um, SR seventy one, and they're talking to, they're on the ATC frequency and they're droning along. They're you know moving at you know Mach two point five or something like that, going somewhere, and um, they're over California, and uh, they hear a Cessna say, you know, um, Center, can you, can you give me my ground speed, ninety knots? There's silence for a few moments. And then a uh, King Air comes on. Center, can you give me my ground speed? 220 knots. Thank you. And then the guy in the Learjet chimes in. Center, can I get my ground speed from you? Pretty. Cool. And the guy, Mike Button, says uh, whatever the call sign is for the SR-71. And uh, Center, can, can we get our ground speed? And Center comes back and says, yeah, 1,675. And, of course, everybody shuts up after that. <laughs> it's, it's nice to have toys. Yeah, you, you, want that, you want that notch or mock number? Yeah, you want that notch or mock. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, don't know. I don't know if the story is true. I don't know if the numbers are correct. But uh, it's, it's, it's nice to tell. It, it, it's, in, it's in a book. Yeah, it's in a book. Somewhere. Written by a sled driver. Mm-hmm. Hey, speaking of big numbers, welcome, folks, to episode 101 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Wow, the first in a second century. That's right. We're recording this episode on uh, Wednesday evening, September 24th, 2008. And, uh, we have a challenge associated with this, don't we? What's that? Well, I'll, you go ahead. Finish your finish your spiel. My Don't spiel. let me interrupt. My spiel. This is because I'm getting to the part where I say your name. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you, I, I wasn't thinking that. I think I'll forget but, to introduce you. Well, why don't you go ahead and do that? Whatever, I'll whatever blows to, up. I'll forget to say hi to you tonight. How's that sound? Uh, Dave uh, Higgins out there. Hi, you, David. You're talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. How, <laughs> how's everything out there? Uh, fine. Last time I got a word in, everything was copacetic. Copacetic today. Lovely flying weather. Uh, uh, kind of like over the weekends. And uh, out of the airport today, getting inspired by a fellow and his little Cessna 120 motoring out of dead cow. Oh, you, told, you wrote uh, a great story on the forum. It's really cool. Your, your, oh, thanks. Your, your flight with Leprechaun to, to to some local or regional fly-in. It was a really nice story. If anybody hasn't looked at it, uh, they should go take a look. Thanks. Yeah, it was it was just a lovely lovely day. We had a good time. Saw a lot of neat airplanes. It, it's the one thing I neglected to to detail in that little that I meant to, but the the the, the spread of airplanes that showed up there. Uh, we had an old funk. 
a couple of 195 Cessnas, a couple of 170 Cessnas, a couple of 140 Cessnas, uh, a clipped wing 100 horse J3 Cub, mm-hmm. wow. beefed up for aerobatics. Uh, Gemini big white Navion with a sliding top. Those are cool. Uh, yeah, it was lovely, lovely day. Uh, good company. Nice light winds and, and a lot of guys trying to cut corn with their Macaulays and Cincinnati props. Oh, really? In, in what way? Describe that for us. <laughs> well, they lift off this, uh, uh, I think it's about a 3,000 foot by 150 foot uh, wide north-south grass runway. And uh, to the immediate west is the hangar at the end of the taxiway where everybody parked and where we got together for lunch. So about half the pilots shortly after liftoff, shortly being 15 to 50 feet, AGL, would do a nice, uh, let's say, one-and-a-half times standard rate right turn and level off and just come blasting along until they looked like they were all aiming for the windsock on top of the hangar. Uh, it was great fun. Sounds mm-hmm. good. Sounds good. And also out there, of course, is Jeb Burnside. Jeb's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. How's everything down there, Jeb? It is delightful, actually. The uh, had a cold front come through, and it's like 75. There's a breeze. The sun's shining. The clouds are moving by. And uh, it's it's getting into the very good part of the year for us down here. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. And I am Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you today from the city by the bay, San Francisco, California. I'm out here again on business. as a sort of unexpected trip. I was out here just three weeks ago, and... Um, Although I was looking forward He's to a, back. I was looking for a little bit of looking forward to a little bit of time at home, but when they called me and said we need someone to go to Cal, go back to San Francisco, I said, "Um, okay." And, and we're going to pay you real money. Yeah, they pay me real money and they put me up in a real I'm sitting here uh, in the uh, San Francisco Marriott Hotel, which anybody who knows San Francisco, it's one of the nicer ones here and uh, I'm right up the street from Moscone Convention Center where uh, Oracle World is going on. That's that's where I'm doing some work and uh um, so Oracle World. I've been now, you see, the first thing that jumps into my mind is a scantily clad Greek virgin girl. Uh, that would be the first the thing to jump into your mind. <laughs> well, that's, Oracle, where, you know, that's what oracles were. You know, I just can't get it into ones and zeros. No, mm-hmm. there's no contrast. So I wanted to... Well, uh, <laughs> When we talked last week, I was. When we talked last week, I wanted to share with you some some uh, fun I had uh, uh, up in the in the, the main area. I had a really cool day um, visiting uh, at the airport up in uh, Sanford, Maine. Um, I think I mentioned on a podcast a couple of weeks ago that I was planning on um, driving up and spending an hour or so at the uh, at the San at the Young Eagles rally. Uh, that the mm. EA chapter was doing up in Sanford, Maine, and and I did that, and I'm t- and and then a few week episodes prior to that, I was mentioning how I was thinking about maybe making Sanford my home. I was debating Sanford versus Skyhaven, Skyhaven, Skyhaven versus Sanford, and so forth. And I'm telling you, I think it's becoming a serious, serious no-brainer here. All right, here's here's what this typical Saturday morning afternoon at Sanford Regional Airport was like. All right, first of all, there's a Young Eagles rally going on that had like. Wow. 
12 different airplanes there. All right, also I mean, there was a couple of 152s. There was a there was a Tiger. I mean, actually, it was two Tigers. There was a couple of home builts. There was just a really nice little collection of airplanes. Lots of kids coming and going, getting their airplane rides. That's number one. As I turned the corner to drive onto the field that morning, I was faced with a sight that you don't often see, and it actually made me nervous for a moment. It turned out to be not a problem at all, and that is that uh, one of the uh, White House aircraft, a DC-9 painted as uh, Air Force One, was mm-hmm. sitting on the ramp at, at Sanford, all right? which I'm told is not a terribly unusual sight. Uh, in this particular case, apparently it was the First Lady visiting the in-laws up in uh, Kennebunkport. So, oh. so that was sitting on the ramp, all right? Uh, I had a chance to go over and get a closer look at the uh, PBY Catalina that I'd mentioned uh, the uh, one time before, so that was kind of fun to do. There was, over at the very far edge of the airport, there was a model aircraft, a jet model aircraft uh, convention fly-in thing going on. So they were flying... Oh, these, that's neat. They were flying these <laughs> jet uh, RC planes uh, over at the far end of the field, all right? And they had arranged to interrupt their show about halfway through that we had a single aerobatic pilot that flew a low-level routine. Uh, oh, very cool. So uh, it, was, it was quite an afternoon at, uh, at uh, Stanford, uh, Stanford, Sanford uh, uh, Regional Airport in Sanford, Maine. And uh, I just think I'm not going to be able to put off this decision much longer because it's just every time I go there, it's, uh, it's another... Well, what, what you'll have to do, of course, not only will you have to relocate up there and so that you'll be much closer yeah but to make the appropriate splash upon arriving in that vicinity you will have to have your own airplane yes i know it's getting more and more uh, a uh, yeah imperative. It, it, it's 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 an important it's an important element of life yeah it's getting clearer and clearer to me i looked at the 120 that was leaving the the leprechaun's maintenance hangar today and uh Somebody that truly loves the airplane and is not quite flying it enough. I think yeah. 16, yeah. 16 hours last yep. year. Uh, and I look at it, you know, I could see myself doing uh-huh. a lot of short trips in it and just loving it to death. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the 120. I'm, I'm working on an article for uh, uh, my day job on uh, Cessna 120s and 140s. And uh, it's a very interesting little airplane. Uh, I won't say little. It's a very interesting airplane, um, and uh, um, quite the um, you know quite the little uh, uh, sturdy. Um, not really known to have any any uh, quirks. Not really known to have any uh, uh, real maintenance issues. It's very well known. It's very well debugged. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's very, um, it's very yeah. well regarded, and they hold yeah. their value well. Yeah, yeah. they do. Does the 120 have uh, fabric-covered wings? They come both ways. They do. The one, the 140A. The, see, the 120 and the 140. The, the one of the major differences, or the major difference, is uh, flaps. The 120 yeah, does yeah. not have them. The 140 does. The 140A has. If I've got this right, and I'm sure if I don't, someone will chime in. Uh, the 140A, of which there weren't that many built, came from the factory with metal wings. Uh, yeah. 
but a lot of the fabric ones have been that, converted. That, exactly. This, this particular yeah. one I looked at today, uh, I saw it in the shop a week or so ago when it was came in for annual, mm-hmm. and was looking it over pretty closely and realized, looking in the uh, inspection boards at the spar, mm-hmm. that this uh, looked like it had been converted and in right. fact it had, and it was really well done. One of the best metal conversions I've ever seen on a 140 or a well, 20. You can buy the skins and you can do the work. It's it's. Uh, um, it's a common conversion. It's a common upgrade, if you will, for that aircraft. Yeah. Uh, there is something to be said for having um, uh, the fabric in that um, periodically you kind of sort of have to go in and inspect the wing yep. uh, when you recover it. But um, in this day and age, that's kind of becoming a lost art. Um, so uh, it would <clears> – I can certainly see an argument in favor of, of doing the metal wings or seeking out a, a 120-140 with metal wings. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of small airplanes, uh, there's a – this has been postponed for a couple of weeks. I, I apologize if you haven't read this posting in the forums in, in a little while, uh, Dave and Jeb, but um, – just to kind of refresh your memory, there was a posting from a listener named Prop Fan. Uh, this goes back to uh, mid-September, and oh, yeah. uh, he wrote that um, he <clears throat> really you know, devoted to the idea of sport pilot and light sport aircraft, and he was looking for a way to get a sport pilot license and 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 get access to LSAs so he could fly. Um, and after he describes in great detail um, his efforts at trying to find. Uh, instruction and or rentals for uh, LSAs and sport pilot you know, training um, near his home and he became kind of frustrated by the whole thing because there just wasn't a lot nearby yeah. Yeah. and uh, you know and this has actually spawned quite a long thread uh, in the forums and uh, I invite the listeners to go and take a look at all the conversation there but let's just talk about this for a second is you know when I a few months back when I did my uh, my BFR um, at Skyhaven I was chatting with the CFI that I worked with um, who also does sport pilot training and uh, he was saying that almost exclusively the people he trains for sport pilot are older pilots who are trying to get in a position to not get not lose their medicals mm-hmm. um, and I said well you know the whole idea was or a part of this idea with sport pilot was to bring new people into aviation do you see that happening and he just instantly said no we just don't see that happening we don't see new people taking up sport pilot what's your experience here is is sport pilot in this regard anyways not a success it's uh, it's a uh, it would be probably the kindest way to put it. Yeah, you better it's, say it it's again. Brought in new pi- Dave, you better say it again because you broke up. It's what? I said if it's been of limited success. Ah, okay. Uh, you know, you, you talk to people in some parts of the country, and there are people coming in to get their sport pilot's license. Uh-huh. Um, but they're, they're kind of co-located to where there's uh, schools and distributors that are focusing on the LSAs to begin with. Uh, walking into the general neighborhood FBO or flight school, that's probably not where you're going to find them yet. Uh, limited numbers of them available through those kind of places. So, uh, you know, the opportunities to go out and actually instruct in a new LS or get instruction in a new LSA is not widespread yet. Uh, but in terms of who's flying, what's been sold, which has been about 2,500, 2,600 new airplanes in the last three years, uh, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that most of the people flying these are converts. Uh, they, yeah, they, um, I think um, they're, they're licenses to LSAs. 
Yeah, I think uh, in prop fan situation, I think he's a victim of geography yeah, as much too. as he is um, uh, anything else. Um, and I don't know if it's if this is redundant um, in the discussion. I see uh, some very good discussion here about just you know saying screw it and and going out and buying a used you know one set. One fifty or or uh, or something like that, and turning around, you know, a year and a half later after you've got your private or or whatever you're going for, and, and selling it for basically what you bought it for, and all you've had to do is put you know oil and and gas in it, which you're going to have to pretty much do anyway. Yeah, you're going to uh, be doing if, that even if you're renting. You know, even if you're borrowing it, borrowing an airplane from somebody for nothing. You're still going to have to put gas and oil in it, so yeah. you know. You, 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 Plus anything that you yeah screw uh, up. Um, so uh, one thing I would I would point out here though too is that um, um, in, in his he, one of the in, at least in his, his original post, and I have not read this thread, but in his original post he he you know says, look, I'm committed to to sport pilot. I I want to do this. I want to be you know that kind. I, I want to take advantage of this this. Uh, uh, the sea change, if you will, in, in the way that, uh, that pilots are trained and, and pilots are regulated, but I can't do it here in my local area. And as I say, he's, he's as much a victim of geography as anything. Yeah. Um, it was going to cost him just a little bit more to get his private through a, a local flying club based on its rates. Yeah, and, and again, I don't know if this was explored in the thread, but that, of course, presumes um, you know, all of these dollar amounts. Of course, presume that he doesn't need additional training beyond the minimum or beyond some arbitrary uh, number of hours uh, that are required for those specific tickets. And I would I would suggest that. Uh, uh, especially someone in Kansas, and Dave, you know more about the weather out there than I ever will. But um, you, what you're going to see is interruptions, and you're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of extra uh, hours and extra costs uh, thrown on to the to the top of this um, this budget you've you've established. Well, even uh, if just your normal life, yeah. You know, stays engaged. Well, you know, in a if it's, if it's rhythm, weather, it's take you longer. It's weather. It's seasonal changes. It's the airplanes broke. It's it's uh, yeah. the instructor's wife wants to go out to dinner. It's your wife wants to go out to dinner. It's you know, it's 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 life. Exactly right. And yeah. you can't control a lot of that. So you really cannot control what the total amount is going to cost you. Um, that's going to be true whether you're doing a sport pilot, whether you're doing. Um, um, something else. The, the thing here, I gave, I, I, I posted back a response and went into yeah. a lot of details and dollars and cents and stuff. And I keep coming back to this thought that I, I priced out one fifties, one fifty twos around here in the last couple of days. Yeah, and sixty five dollars an hour now is uh, pretty typical for a one fifty, one fifty two. That's not bad at all. No, it's not bad at all. Versus the ninety-five that they were going to charge him for the Sky Arrow, uh-huh. which is a nice LSA. Oh, yeah, and it's and sleek and it's fast and uh, and it, it, it has appeal to a different segment of pilot. But 
you know, I think that the smart thing to do if you're really into this is go ahead and get instruction started on the private syllabus mm-hmm. and see if you can't get to the point. All the time will be applicable to your exactly uh, right. sport pilot license. And uh, go ahead and start working on it that way. Uh, you know, I, I recognize you may have to get a medical if you want to solo and keep going until you can find that LSA to check out in. But uh, at some point there, you, you could get the lines crossed to where you wouldn't have to do so much time in the sky arrow you could go ahead and finish up in the sky arrow in a shorter period of time and then have the uh, sport pilot's license to start looking around for something that you want to fly for yourself and that could be an old Aranka or T-Craft it could be that matter because they qualify and and air coop um, air coop uh, there's a lot of airplanes in there under 25 ground that would uh, make uh, at least Scratching the itch and doing there's, a little local touring. Yeah, we, and we've uh, we've we've been down this road before. There's a lot of airplanes under fifteen grand. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that that are LSA uh, capable. Interestingly enough, and as an aside, the Cessna one twenty one forties are not. No, unfortunately, they weigh, they weigh just a little bit too much. But um, and that's that. What you outlined, Dave, is a very good option for this gentleman. Um, I, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Yeah, and I, I admire him and, and support his desire to to go the LSA route and get the sport pilot ticket, um, but he can game the system a little bit and, and it won't hurt a thing. Um, the, at the end of the day, you know, uh, maybe he long term be better off getting his private. I don't know. Well, and, and uh, you know, don't stop checking around and seeing if you might find an independent flight instructor. That'll work with you on what you want to do. Who's renting you his airplane, and uh, has you know possibly and, a lower rate because it's not part of a large business. And and one one final thing, and I'll shut up and and, and we can move on. But and I, again, I haven't I haven't been all the way through this thread. The gentleman suggests that he's he's done his research, and and uh, I think in fact he has done a great deal of research here, and I commend him for that. One thing I and I, forgive me again if 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 he's done this in in the past, but one thing he might want to consider if he has not done it, or even, perhaps even if he has, is put an ad in the local paper, or in some other, um, uh, maybe put some ads up on bulletin boards at area airports, and God knows there's a bunch of them around Wichita, but say you know, hey, I'm looking you know for somebody with an LSA or an LSA qualified aircraft who happens to be a CFI. Who would want to give some poor schmuck uh, his his sport pilot ticket? Um, advertise this a little bit, and I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to find somebody, maybe you know, a CFI with an LSA, or a CFI with a champ, or something like that. Yeah, it's, who it's uh, would be willing you know, to uh, um, to take him up on on some training? Yeah. Yeah. If he's Reach really out into the difference between side by side and tandem, uh-huh. you know, there's uh, Aranka Chiefs and uh, Taylor Craft and Luscombe out you know, there that are you know there's some airplanes. You know there's some Cubs squirreled away in some hangars out there that's some oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, at the other end, uh, keep at it, man. You'll find a way. We know you will. That's right. And keep us posted on that, please. And 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 thanks for being a listener. Yeah. 
At the other end of the uh, sort of the other extreme of the uh, GA community, yeah. we've got a, a the other end of the rainbow. A big a big story here, I think. Um, and uh, let me just read a paragraph and a half from a story uh, from a couple of days ago on AeroNews.net. Uh, it says uh, this is from uh, s- uh, September nineteenth. It says the company seen by many as the proverbial canary in the mine shaft for the greater success of the very light jet industry, and for one coming company in particular has ceased operations florida-based dayjet has ceased all operations due to quote economic reasons the company informed the faa at around 12 p.m eastern daylight time on friday that it would park all but one of its aircraft this is of course the company that was uh, going to be using eclipse 500s uh, to build a new industry and uh dayjet um, yeah dayjet and uh i mean what's this is this is this is a big deal yes this is a big deal. Um, it's a big deal. It's a, it's a big, big deal. deal for Eclipse. It's a big deal for the uh, um, one seat or the per seat on demand model. It's a big deal for air taxis, uh, and it's a big deal for the industry uh, as a whole. Do we think uh, this is more a is, function? Is it, is it the apocalypse? No, it is not the apocalypse. But go ahead, Jeff. Is, is, do we think this is more a function of the business model being flawed, or is it just that the economy is so fouled up? Um, yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, and it's, How and do I it's know also, that was going to be your answer? Yeah. Well, and it's also, I think you have to, to give Yakabuchi uh, some credit here when he says that Yakabuchi was the CEO of Dayjet. Ed, yeah, Ed Yakabuchi. Yeah. This was his brainchild. Right. And yeah. you, have to get, you, you have to take him at his word when he says the, the principal reason that they have to do this now is because of the, the credit market is drying up. And, and anybody with a pulse and, a, and English, English language capability would know, if they've been paying any attention here the last week and a half, that there is a credit crunch. Yeah. So, is he uh, saying so you kind of sort of have to take him at, at his word. But... You know, that credit crunch doesn't just affect Dayjet and its ability to attract uh, uh, operating capital. It attracts, uh, it, excuse me, it affects companies who would need to move their executives from point A to point B. And it affects um, the people that they would do business with at, at point B. So, um, this is this is all of a piece. Yes, it does. It does. Uh, say something about the viability of this business model. It does say something about the viability of, uh, 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 of the economy. Um, is this, I don't see it in this story. Do we think this is more of a hiatus or is this a permanent closing of the doors? <sighs> this, this sounds very final. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the, uh, the, the, I'm just blue, I'm blue skying here a little yeah. bit, but, Keeping one airplane and continuing to move that airplane under the uh, operating certificate uh, does keep alive the prospect of selling the operating certificate and not having it go dormant or, or surrendered. Uh-huh. And that could have some asset value if they were the least bit hopeful of recouping some of the money that's gone into this. How uh, many eclipses were they? did they actually take delivery on? They had 28. Oh, okay. They had 28. Chances are and, you can get a good uh, deal on one of those now. Well, I think those all went back to Albuquerque or are going back to Albuquerque. Why? Were they not owned? Uh, Were they like leased? Was, I, I couldn't tell you that. 
but the uh, information that has been some of it's, it's floated on the uh, on the net has talked about the airplanes uh, returning to uh, to uh, eclipse under the under the you know provisions of the uh, of the deal. So oh, really, they have some sort of buyback option. Or, well, they're not sure they're, if it's they're, a buyback they're, they're or if Eclipse don't finance them. They're probably just leased. Yeah, yeah that could well be. But this was the, uh, the uh, four-digit customer mm-hmm. that helped give uh, Eclipse such enormous backlog numbers yeah. for years. You know, 2,500, 2,700 airplanes going back years. Uh, and, you know, in some defense of Yakabuchi's uh, business model and his idea. A lot of this was predicated on some really good numbers that got changed significantly along the way because the airplane had to be changed significantly along the way because of a whole bunch of domino affecting things. Yeah. You know, they dropped an engine, had to adopt a new engine, the new engine in. In, entailed some changes to fuel system and landing gear and tip tanks and weights and you know on and on and cost changed and operating costs changed and by the time Tjet actually got airplanes flew some proving flights and started which would coincided with NBAA last year mm-hmm. and NBAA is about two weeks away right now or about ten days away right now uh, so they operated for about a year uh, but all of that stuff has had to uh, to try to pull out the uh, operating revenue uh, in a climate that's considerably different than when those orders were placed. Right, right. So my new buddy that I, yeah. I talked about that I met on the ramp in Palo Alto who, uh, who had uh, spot like 1,100, the delivery spot for his Eclipse, I guess he must have just moved up in the list. I don't know. Well, he can get a real good deal on a slightly used one well, with well, a jet logo some, on it. From somebody, yeah, I know. Anyways, so what is um, this, what's the, I'm sorry, you, something else about Dayjet? Well, I, just that, you know, it's it's a shame. You know, Yakabuchi, I've talked yeah. with him. Dave, you've talked to him, I'm sure. And, and Jack, you've probably talked to him also. Um, he, he's, he, you know, pretty much had this thing uh, thought out. I mean, uh, obviously in hindsight, it wasn't all that well thought out, but given the the assumptions um, of, say, you know, five years ago, the economic assumptions, it was pretty well thought out. Um, they did not seem to be, um, uh, you know, overreaching uh, in some of this. They had just recently, you know, gotten statewide here in Florida um, and were, were branching out a little bit to, to Georgia and Alabama. Now, you know, what their their yield factors were, Nobody knows. Uh, uh, well, the C cost model varied with distance uh-huh. and how far yeah. ahead of time you bought the seat exactly. and exactly. and occupancy and. Uh, it's been six uh, months ago or, or so now, but they got some really good press coverage here locally in Sarasota when they added uh, uh, added Sarasota as one of their reg- <coughs> excuse me one of their regular stops. Uh, day um, ports, they called them. Yeah, the day ports. Well, um, day stop, I think, is what Sarasota okay, was. Sec- was a, it one. wasn't a, an, o- uh, an overnight location for them. Um, I've, I've been in and out of uh, Gainesville, Florida, uh, in the last few months. One of That's one of their kind of uh, um, bases or uh, 
uh, a base port, perhaps, and they call it. I don't know what they call it. Um, where they had, you know, basically a very nice new facility um, to, to do maintenance and, and stage flights from. Um, it's a shame. Now, yeah. you know, the, the thing I was going to uh, try to get into a little bit here is um, I don't think that this is a referendum on this, this per seat on demand no, type of uh, marketing. In fact, um, companies that have said, hey, you know, that's not a bad idea, but we don't want to do it with, with uh, eclipses. And instead of have, have started doing this with uh, uh, SR-22s, those companies seem to be doing quite nicely, all, all things considered. Uh, I'm, I'm familiar with one um, up in the northern Virginia area um, that um, they're putting like, you know, 100 hours every couple of weeks on their airplanes. Um, and, um, you know, they're buying new airplanes. They're, they're adding uh, to their fleets. Um, they're, yeah, I, think, uh, I think the big difference they're doing here, well. Is is that the big difference is the cost of the ticket. Their cost basis yeah. is, is, is that a percentage of what people are willing to spend on that that's equal to where the Eclipse was when Dayjet first, you know, uh, proffered its numbers, I don't know, six, seven years ago. Oh, it's been longer. Maybe than longer, that. longer than that. At any rate, the, uh, the, the cost for the SR-22s works out great. Uh, compared to what people are willing to spend today, where the Eclipse did back in those years. Uh, and surprisingly, though, it was picking up big time in Florida and Georgia, and they were just opening up some service to South Carolina uh, and Alabama. It was looking good on the acceptance side, and I think their, uh, their pickup was, uh, was not far off their projections. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I agree with you there. But I, th- I think for them to go wildly good, they need the, the cost to fair proportion to be better right. than, than it is now in this day and age with that airplane. Right. And it's only going to be harder to do it with that airplane after Eclipse likely readjusts the delivered price based, again, on an adjustment in their backlog uh, and and demand expectations yeah you know another thing here too I'm, I'm just sitting here looking at the uh, the sats air website um and this is sats air is uh um kind of i would guess one of the poster children for this per seat on demand um uh, market um but they use cirruses they use sr-22s uh-huh. and i don't know what um Eclipse's pricing was, as, as Dave correctly pointed out, it was a sliding scale based on um, how far in advance, how far you were going, and how badly you needed to be on a certain schedule. Um, but I know that it wasn't um, it wasn't sixty nine dollars. No, uh, it was it was more than that. It was oh, no, definitely no, three this was definitely yeah. This was definitely premium travel. Right. Right, uh, but not diamond level travel. It, yeah, this this was not this is not Gulfstream travel. This is a Cirrus. No. Okay, guys. No, that's right. It's it's the it's the cabin is but smaller than so, an SUV. So easily into yeah. that equation, the uh-huh. time saved uh-huh. versus the cost right. carried. Well, I'm just looking it's at so the, outrageous. I'm just looking at the pricing here. For example, at Sats Air, 
and um, they're looking at you know for the whole airplane, not on a per seat basis, but you know professionally flown SR twenty two. So you're looking at three seats. Uh, they're looking at six hundred fifty five dollars per hour if you buy a five hour block, and you know six hundred fifty five dollars an hour. Oh my God. Um, you know, I can rent an SR-22 for, you know, what, a third of that. Well, yeah, sure. you can, but you've put so much money into getting your ticket, et cetera, et cetera. This is professionally flown. The pilot waits, and he turns around and flies you home kind of yeah. thing. And, um, that's yeah, and if not that a hourly deal. rate includes, the, you know, most of the wait right. time, that's a good deal. And that's not a bad deal. Plus, even though the SR-22 is maybe half as fast as an eclipse, maybe not even half as fast as an eclipse, the effective block-to-block times aren't that far off. No, they're not. Consider departure and arrival, you have to slow down, you've got ground taxi, you've got all of this Climb, kind of stuff. All and this if you're stuff. going to anything other than, you know, basically your bone backyard, you're always going to have some kind of delay. Um, plus, you're still going, you know, directly to the closest airport to your destination. Which is, of course, general aviation's big, big. Uh, almost uh, always a winning proposition. Almost always a winning proposition. So, it's it's unfortunate that that you know, this it's it's that um, Dayjet has come to this, um, but I don't think that this is a referendum on the per seat yeah. on demand model. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the. Look at the Satsair uh, homepage. Their, if their masthead is any indication, though, they've apparently had a taken a fairly dramatic solution to the pilot sh- pilot shortage problem. There, they, I don't know, you guys see. Yeah. <laughs> okay, finally yeah, you well, get the no. joke. All right. They, I, they, I do. They have a- I, I do. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what, though. Um, you know, if the balloon goes up, or or uh, you know, if I decide to retire at some point here um, uh, in the future. Um, uh, I would definitely look at them or some other similarly situated operator as a great part-time job. Uh huh. Well, yeah. no, my my lame joke was 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 formed it's around the, the fact that there's a little kid in a in yeah. a headset uh, sitting in the. But he's the he's obviously in the co-pilot seat. Oh, Jack. that's right. Okay, well then it's okay. It's that's. <laughs> that's hey, getting back to this Dayjet thing. Um, so what does this all mean for Eclipse, if anything? Well, the, the other piece of news uh, uh, with Eclipse yeah. this week, uh, which I don't see on our little good guy list here. Nope, tell us. Is um, that they announced this week that they will, in the year 2010, be shifting the vast majority, if not all, of their production to, drumroll please, Russia. Yeah. And the Russian connection is... The Russian Connection is the company that uh, made a major investment to bail out Vern Rayburn um, several months ago, um, kind of grew up and turned around and, and bit the hand that fed them and kicked Vern Rayburn out at Oshkosh, and um, it basically is in control of the company. Uh, and they, I think, all along uh, had planned to to uh, transfer uh, production. I, uh, I don't think I don't think they're planning on moving wholesale their entire global production over there. Uh, maybe not Just all what, of it, but a vast uh, majority what, of it is going to go to Russia. What they're that company and that production is supposed to be serving East and West Europe, mm-hmm. Russia, uh, the Baltic states, Turkey. Uh, I, I, 
and they, they, they claim that their Albuquerque factory right. will continue to pump out all the North American and the rest of the world's market stuff. Right. Uh, what that will actually be is a different question. Yeah, you're absolutely right that um, the plan right now, the announced plan right now, is for them to uh, be producing aircraft not only in uh, Albuquerque, uh, but also in, uh, in Russia. Um, but um, my thinking is, based on the cost of production in Russia versus Albuquerque, uh, based on the f- huge numbers of, or at least what I'm led to believe anyway, huge numbers of uh, highly trained uh, aerospace workers in Russia, yeah, uh, without work right now, um, they will have the vast majority of Eclipse, new aircraft, Eclipse new aircraft production in Russia uh, within three years. If if they you know get the tooling over there and get it set up, I, I think they're going to get the majority of yeah. the uh, assembly just on the basis of where the heavy sales numbers are going mm-hmm. these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absent anything else, uh, but it does look like they're going to continue to have the uh, same major components produced here, produced here, for shipment to the Russians for well, the final yeah, assembly I mean, and completion. Th- things like so engines, landing gear, avionics, which are you know, really the kind of the high ticket items for these aircraft. Well, and the and the uh, subcontractors that do right. the structural right. airframe parts now. Uh, now, the the in addition, of course, you know they haven't. Uh, uh, one of the things that Vern Rayburn did do correctly in, in setting up production is uh, he looked around the world uh, for um, the best and, and most cost-effective manufacturers of his sub-assemblies. So uh, he's getting stuff made you know, outside the U.S., yeah. Uh, whether it's Europe, whether it's South America, whether it's Asia, whatever. Um, and in this day and age, it, it doesn't take a whole lot to do that. No. Uh, I'll give him credit for for internationalizing uh, uh, the production. Well, having having the structure, the parts that you want on Katia, mm-hmm. and a uh, you know, and a, a USB memory stick lets you take the work almost mm-hmm. anywhere with the machinery to open it up and duplicate it. Yeah, and, and and face it, this airplane is not that big, so it can be no, you know, it's broken not. down and containerized without a whole lot of fuss. Yeah. The big the big difference between it and the other is that friction stir weld welding that uh-huh. they use uh-huh. for uh, the uh, parts and uh, parts assembly into the major components. Uh, very few rivets in that airplane relative to anything else of the same size, uh, because most ribs and stringers and longerons and bulkheads are attached to their mated parts with a welding technique that uses no heat, no gas, and no spark. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is kind of cool. So, you know, at least from my perspective, one of the things that's sort of been lost among all the sound and fury of the Eclipse story over the past year, say, um, is the status of the other uh, VLJ uh, candidates. What's what's the story with these other folks? Are they making progress? What, what? Give me an update. Yeah, one of them is. Which one's that? Cessna. Yeah. Of course, they would tell you that the Mustang is not a VLJ, and and uh, I think the jury's kind of out on that. Um, it, but if you look at the other, quote, personal jet manufacturers, unquote, 
Um, we're kind of waiting for the next shoe to drop. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam, um, um, there's still some hope among uh, former employees of Adam Aircraft that they can uh, uh, put together enough um, moxie and, and cash to to restart development certification and production. Weren't they, weren't they bought out by a Russian outfit that is? I think they were. Like yeah, it's some something. Well, there was there was before Adam before they closed the doors, there was some Russian money in that company also, um, but um, I, I don't. I it, my memory is not good enough right now to to. Uh, get into to uh, exactly what happened at Adam. The punchline, though, is that... The, the, it, it ain't there right now. Yeah, they, they, well, they're not making aircraft, and they abandoned the, the push-me-pull-you 500. But some of the, the former oh, employees... that's right. Have, the company says they're yeah. coming back, but they're not going to come back with the A500. Yeah, they're, they're going to abandon the A500, and, and um, the guys who have who purchased the A500 have kind of gotten themselves in a box um but they do want to continue to develop the 700 the the jet yeah and uh whether they'll be able to pull that off and when and and what the market will be uh are you know very very large unknowns you still have um people like cirrus and piper and uh and diamond who are working diamond flew a really cool looking uh, sample into oshkosh this summer Working on their single-engine jets. Um, just uh, last week, Piper had a big confab uh, over at Vero Beach. Uh, invited some of the the aviation press in. They didn't invite me, but um, that's okay. We'll we'll uh, we'll close in on that. So, which of these guys have oh, shipped got, airplanes? We've got Cirrus Cessna. <laughs> well, we got Cirrus coming along with its uh, with its uh, uh, SJ fifty. Oh, and uh, like you said, Piper is well is flying the uh, the Piper jet. Diamond is uh, should be closing in on TC on on the D jet. Uh, Who else is up? Mustang is delivering Embraer uh, and the Phenom 100. That's a VLJ. Uh, boy, I'm expecting to see its type certificate come uh, come out of the woodwork right about NBAA in a it, couple isn't weeks. Isn't it Phenom 200 and 300? 100 and 300. No, there's no 100. Yes, there is. No, there's not. Yeah, there is. It's 200. Check it out. I will. Okay. There's no 200. We'll report No, there's back. 200. There's no There's no 100. There's a 100 and a 300. No. All right. Yeah. All right, you boys. Calm down. We'll figure this out. 300's a light jet. The 100's a VLJ. I'll let you guys fight it out and, and, and post the proper I don't answer. Think so. Okay, so Jeff's got to look it he, up. He, he's he's checking it right now. All right. Well, so so this. I'm so not the, checking it because I, I can, it, I can it, you know I can put it, you it, on it, hold. It ranks, yeah. it ranks right up there. It ranks right up there with twist off caps on lineys. Oh, them's fighting words. You're gonna get to, um, the, so the VLJ world is is not staggering by any means. It's uh, I mean no having, no no no. You know, this is a kind of a it hasn't problem. revolutionized right. aviation right. for individuals. But I'm sorry, Dave. You are correct. Oh. It's Phenom 100 and 300. I stand corrected. Let, That's let, okay. Let this be a red-letter day on the calendar, folks. Okay. I uh, spend a lot of time talking to these people. Well, I'm out of practice. I used to used to do that market, but I'm out of practice. So, so um, uh, 100's so a nice-looking little jet. So. Yes. Yeah. We better move on here. Uh, the uh, 
Take a drink. So here's a story for you. Here's a story for you from, I believe it's from Allentown, Pennsylvania. It appears that, uh, let me put it this way, Harold and Kumar have become air traffic controllers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is a report that there were trainees and that there were nothing but trainees. Let me read the story. Let me read a couple couple sentences here. An incident that thankfully ended with some fairly rattled pilots and passengers, but no more than a little lost tire rubber begs the question of who is training whom at some of the nation's air traffic control towers. The National Air Traffic Controllers Union says two trainee controllers were on duty by themselves in the Lehigh International Airport Tower when a Mesa Airlines CRJ-700 had to swerve, as in sudden deviation from a straight path, to avoid a just-landed Cessna 172 while taking off from Allentown, Pennsylvania Airport. Um, Yikes. I mean, yikes. Yeah. Whoops. Uh, th- this this had potential to be a monstrous disaster, and uh, you know, even as it is, it's an underwear emergency. It, it's it's definitely a a, a seat pincher. Um, yeah. And and I'm I'd, I'd be really surprised if the 172 even knew it was coming until it was over. Well, I think he did actually, because the what happened here is. Is uh, the 172? I was told earlier on that this was a a 172RG. Uh, Don't know how many people were in it. uh, Obviously, at least one, but landed, and uh, the controllers, uh, you know, said clear at such and such a taxiway. Whether he couldn't find the taxiway, um, whether I don't know how. I don't know if this is night or daytime or whatever. Whether he he rolled past it, uh, uh, he, he he did not use the taxiway. And um, did, in fact, go past it. And as he did so, he told the controller, oh, by the way, I, I you know, I missed that taxiway. Can I get another one? Can I get the next right, one? On the tower frequency, well, not ground. On the tower frequency. Well, right. by this, which he's supposed to do because it's, you know, he's still on the runway, right? Bingo. Bingo. So by this time, of course, uh, the controllers had already cleared the RJ for departure on the same runway, not coincidentally. The, the 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 crew and the RJ heard this, bless their souls, and, um, and said, hey, and maybe we don't want to take off on this runway right now." But they but, wait a minute, but, but they started the roll anyways, right? They were already rolling. Oh, okay. They were, yes, they were in the roll. They aborted the takeoff, um, pulled the power back, slammed on the brakes. Uh, apparently, it was night because they uh, uh, they just missed the 172 by uh, saw the lights or something like that at the last minute. Missed it by 10 feet. Oops. And the, the, the story, as I understand it, continues. The RJ crew decided, you know, that's kind of enough for tonight. We'll just take this back to the terminal, and uh, we'll go get a change of underwear. We'll try yeah, this again. Yeah, yeah, man, I, that that that's one of those. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure that I'm mentally uh, right. ready to fly again right now. That's right. Uh, I think I'm going to go find a nice adolescent scotch. Oh yes, going to go find you know. Um, uh, anything I can get my hands on uh, after that. And, and I would strongly urge the guy in the 172 to do the exact same thing. Yeah, man. Well, yeah, yikes. I don't know. I don't know what category So that let's falls hear in, it for trainees. Yeah, Harold. Well, I, had a, I had an Army controller trainee, bless her heart. Harold and Kumar. <laughs> I, love uh, I love it, yeah. 
was we were we were kind of we were in our little Cherokee 140 uh, mm-hmm. on our way home to Kansas from Sun and Fun in southern Alabama or LA as they call it there lower Alabama and had just encountered you know don't come here weather and had done the 180 and found a little airport to go into uh, well they had an army training tower there and scary mary the nickname of the lady trainee army uh, enlisted person cleared me for the wrong one runway mm. uh, not only was it farther away than the one end of the wind it was downwind at about 25 so we politely declined and asked for the straight end to the real runway when the mail voice came on and said cleared as requested mm-hmm. and before the mic unkeyed I could hear him go no 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 into the wind <laughs> <laughs> okay you want them to fly up the ass of the windsock not down the throat it's not a blow job it's a beep beep and, and then the mic went dead and it's like Oh God! I think, I, I, it I, I, got into the shack, and the guy says, "So we hear that you had Scary Mary on approach." <laughs> oh man, I I regularly use a facility that um, we shall simply call a training facility, and um, I you know it's it's always I have to calm myself down. I said, "All right." This is going to be. This is going to involve a few extra transmissions than you're accustomed to. Just <laughs> relax. Just go with the flow. And um, as long as I don't ask for anything, or as long as I don't ask for anything fancy, mm-hmm. when I do ask for something, it generally goes fairly smoothly. But but if there's anything whatsoever that's not you know, straight and level, um, you know, slam, bam, thank you very much, get it over with quick, um, uh, I'm toast. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just love days like that. Yeah. You want me to go where? Yeah. Well, Do you know not, what's down there? Yeah, that's right. You know, there's there's Cherokees down there, man. I don't want to go down there. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. That's right. It's Indian territory, man. <laughs> So, uh, David, you, uh, David, you just posted one little like teaser line here. There's no link. There's no news story that you're referring to. You just wrote uh, anybody giving odds on FAA re- reauthorization slipping. And uh, well, I mean, I'm, I, is there is there a story plugged, here? Or? I, well, get, actually, as it turns out, there is. Okay. Uh, there wasn't when I posted this. Uh, I was kind of looking ahead to the the remaining. What Congress wants to go home on the thirtieth? <laughs> okay, that's the official end of the fiscal year, mm-hmm. and that's the traditional date in election years for Congresses to come to an end, and all the members go home except for the two thirds of the Senate who aren't up for re-election. Everybody goes back home and humps their ass off and hoping you're getting enough votes to come back in January. Uh, so. With the financial meltdown, the bailout and debates, presidential campaign going on, uh, trying to pass energy legislation to extend tax credits for alternative investments and on and on and on. I'm thinking there's no bloody way the FAA bill is going to even see 
you know, it's going to be a side note. It's going to be part of a continuing resolution. Yeah. Lo and behold, today, Congress passed a continuing resolution to fund basically all of the federal government until next March. They're giving themselves until after the odds of March. And uh, they're not going to deal with it anymore. The shrub's going to sign it. They're going to go home, and they're going to run for re-election. And they're going to turn this all over to the next Congress and the next president, whoever in the hell those folks are. God help them. They're going to be behind the curve from day minus 10. Talk about a job that I don't want. Yeah. That's the truth. But, uh... So, uh, yeah, now it's it's been slipped. Uh, you know, uh, and... NBAA Ed Bolin uh, uh, statement today saying that uh, it really is important that this become an issue dealt with as soon as the new folks walk back in the door in January. Yeah, it like is. Like the new Congress should settle this before the even the inauguration comes so that the new guy can hit the ground, sign the bloody bill, and get the FAA back on track on doing all the crap that it needs to be doing to move ATC forward and ADSB forward and us forward and airport developments forward and all the stuff that we're paying money and excise tax for and is being bottled up. So uh, that's the end of that rant. You remember the good old days, you know, back like 15 months ago when you know <laughs> we were still young and fresh on this podcast and we were beating this drum of user fees. Contact your Congress. You know, this all this senator. all this had to be done soon because, you know, the the existing authorization bill was going to expire September thirty and and uh, the airline for lunch of two thousand six. Two thousand was it seven or six? Six. six. Yeah. Six. So it's been more than fifteen months. It's been twenty seven months or something. Two two years, folks. How long have we been on doing this? Resolutions. Yeah. The scary part, of course, all kidding aside, and I know you guys aren't exactly kidding, but, you know, is that is that this whole can of worms is going to get opened up again. You know, we yeah. thought we kind of had settled this, and and we're going to go through at least part of it well, all over again, right? In, yes. In some ways, we have settled this in that um, some of the old arguments have been made. They've been debunked. Congress has made several decisions. There is a foundation of a bill uh, that has passed the House, um, and that will be a negotiating point, uh, irrespective of who's in the White House and yeah. how the House and the Senate uh, composition changes between now and, let's say, mid-March. Um, that's always going to be a negotiating point. So there is the... The uh, lack of user fees in the House bill as a precedent, um, the the disarray and the lack of any um, cogent policy that the Senate can agree on is also something of a precedent in that um, – even even the Senate, after you know, pick a number of months, has not been able to agree on a plan. Um, so yes, user fees are um, not they're on the table, but they're also highly controversial even in the Senate. So why don't we all just accept the House bill and we can move on to transit or something else? Actually, thank, there's thank a, you very much. Try the veal. I think even the Senate has answered for itself the question. Right. about user fees and said, no, right. this, th this bill, SB 1300, 
would have gone to the floor and been passed, and this would have been over months ago. But there have been two or three little ancillary things going on from trying to hang a, a, an amendment on it that would require the airlines to do something responsible about employee pensions so that employees stop having to get screwed in their pensions when an airline goes bankrupt. But that's too much for some people, so they're tying it up over that. There have also been some attempts to add amendments for other extraneous stuff by different parties, and consequently the minority power in charge of the White House has effectively filibustered the bill all this time and not let it come to a floor for a vote, where in the form that it's in, it would pass. Yeah, It would pass, and we would answer this question, and the FAA would have the money and the game plan and the roadmap that it needs to start moving back into full gear. So, yeah. And the other thing, of course, that the new year will bring um, – is you know maybe a, like a you know an FAA administrator? Yeah, that would be that nice. would be good. That would be good. Nothing against uh, Mr. Sturgeon. Nothing at all. I talked to him. Uh, he has a sufficiently diverse background that I don't feel like he is necessarily uh, myopic in his in his views because he's not been singular in his history. But he was up against a, a bad situation when he was uh, given the acting appointment. And that is, a, you know, being such a short time until the end, and this being a five-year term, and there being a lot of political ten- tension between Congress and the White House at the get-go. And it was just not really the best timing for Mr. Mm-hmm. Virgil, and I'm sorry, because I think he would have done a fine job. Yep. Yep. But it is what it is. Yep. Here's an update on a story we talked about uh, uh, some time ago. Uh, this was the... Uh, the the uh, two pilots of a the Hawaiian uh, Go airline uh, airliner that uh, they fell asleep on their little short island hop. Allegedly. And uh, well, it seems yes. I mean, it's I guess it's always going to be allegedly because there are no eyewitnesses. But but isn't that what the NTSB said? That well, the, the lead paragraph in this story says allegedly because these guys have not yet admitted it. Okay. Well, and, they allegedly fell asleep, but they certainly were a fired by Go Airlines, and uh, and two, they were suspend their their pilot certificates were suspended by the FAA um, for uh, I believe sixty days and forty five days, uh, respectively. Now, here's the interesting part of the story: is apparently their uh, suspensions are are either over or about to be over, and uh, there's you you know, we're kind of people are now wondering what will be the next job for these guys. Do these guys have a chance? I'm, I'm thinking that they should. I think that they should be flying demonstrations for Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Seriously, do these guys how have long, a prayer or fly in for the how airlines? How long do you on coming up with that one? Um, <laughs> do they have a career? Red Bull. Yeah. I get it. Sure. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Do they have a career? Yeah. But it's going to be, you know, flying. Uh, what was the line from um, um, flying a, tr- a plane load of rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong? Is that the, was that the line? I don't know. Uh, but it is now. And okay, there we are. It's on the podcast. <laughs> um, um, yeah, they can fly jump. Yeah, they have a, uh, a career in commercial aviation. They don't have a well, career. They, have the career they don't have a career in, in part 121. Uh-huh. Passenger carrying scheduled aviation. I but, thought there was a shortage hey. of pilots. I was going to say, they've got plenty of career left in them, whether it's yeah. the career they originally envisioned for themselves 
Uh, that may not be so true now. Uh, but there's a whole lot of the world where being a English-only speaking professional pilot has more cachet and more money available than any old little thing about sleeping on the job would ever do you in. And the fact that there's still a lot of... The fact that they're still alive to talk about it is is in some uh, parts of the world um, um, something they should put on their resume. And, and and I think you know it'd be worth serious thought, uh, no matter how you feel, that you will get used to curry over time. And uh, uh, okay, well I guess we'll try and track will, these guys' career and report back to you later on on, on what became of uh, of uh, these two guys. Uh, Hey, well, you know, uh, Joe Hazelwood, who was the captain in charge of the Exxon Valdez, has continued to uh, to sail professionally, uh, not in the kind of job that he had before with the kind of money or responsibility that he had before, but he's still a captain, or he was last time I heard about him. So. Well, you know, um, this, I was going to make a Gilligan's Island joke, but I know. <laughs> Hey, our friend. We heard so it go. We heard from our good friend uh, Dave Shelbetter at uh, Sun and Fun Radio, and he uh, pointed our attention to uh, an interesting bit of aviation history that was for sale on eBay. I believe it is, Dave. I think this is David. You know a little bit about this. What what still is for sale on eBay? Is it still there? Still is for sale, David. What is it? Yeah, yeah. Well, for those of you that may not be familiar with the name Malt Taylor. But Molt Taylor was a pioneering uh, experimental aircraft designer. And uh, uh, part of the lineage, if I got this accurately from the beginning, of the Taylor family that brought us the Taylor Cub and Taylor Craft. And the Taylor Cub, of course, evolved into the Piper Cub and so on and so forth. So uh, one of his designs was a lovely little two-seat side-by-side amphib called the coot folding wings fuselage mounted sponsons to keep the wings clean cantilevered uh relatively low wing high mounted pusher engine uh it's mole taylor's original version of the coot and it's for sale on ebay i think the reserve price is forty two thousand the buy it now uh, price is forty two thousand. There is no auction. Right. There is no reserve price. It's it's that's the only way to buy this, and um, uh, looks very cool. Now, very cool. Little airplane. It's a neat airplane. It's been a while since I've seen one, but yeah. I, I I saw them years ago at uh, at uh, the Lake Parker fly in uh, or splash in at Sun and Fun. Uh, David, isn't and that a good description, what you just described? Isn't that a good description of that amphib that was all the rage at Oshkosh this summer? Actually, if you look at the coot and you look at the Icon A5, that occurred to me too, Jack, yeah. uh, you'll see a tremendous similarity. Now, part of that's just because there's only so many ways you can solve some of the issues of, of, of making a machine that flies also float. Uh, but there are sufficient variations in it. If you look at airplanes like the Republic CB, 
uh, versus the Lake Amphibs. There's, there's some pretty good variations in them. Volmer Jensen uh, designed an experimental uh, uh, pusher Amphib uh, that uh, had a little heyday back in the uh, late 70s and early 80s. Uh, so there were a few of these type of airplanes designed and a few of them built. The Coot, I think, was one of the more well received and one of the more, one of the better designed all the way around of the, uh, of that genre. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's certainly one of the more successful experimental amphibians. Yes, absolutely. Is that the right price for that airplane? Is that really what they go for? Uh, uh, well, uh, considering the restoration work that they claim to have done on it, uh, you know, put, before putting it up for sale and the time on the Franklin engine, uh, you know, that's not unreasonable. Yeah, I'd like to see it up close and personal before um, yeah, me too. Uh, I went yeah, down well, that path. But obviously, I want in the listing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not unreasonable. You know, if if everything else is 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 good, I I'd feel better if it had a, a Lycoming, but um, instead of a Franklin. But yeah. well, the nice thing about it, since an experimental amateur built certificate. Uh, Stick a Corvair placing in it. that that uh, uh, Franklin six with a Lycoming of uh, the same horsepower and four cylinders is eminently doable. Yeah, yeah. right. Shoutouts. You got any shoutouts for us this week? I got one, but I'll let you go first if you've got it. I don't I, have one. I I I, I kind of used mine short. early yeah. on talking about today being the anniversary yeah. of. Uh, of Jimmy Doolittle's uh, first instrument flight. Because somebody got out of order. (laughs) That that came to me, well, that came to me courtesy our old buddy Steve Fuschberger up in Indianapolis. uh, Devin Air Pilot. Uh, Well, uh, it sounds like he's doing okay. Hope uh, looks like we're going to bump into him at uh, at a uh, annual function we attend as part of NBAA. Uh Uh-huh. Um, I've got one quick one here. Uh, a, a few weeks back, we uh, talked with Will Hawkins about his new project, uh, the the movie documentary that he and uh, some friends are putting together called A Pilot's Story. Um, and I continue to believe that that's just a, a really cool project. And uh, if you haven't looked at the trailer yet, you ought to. Um, just well, go ahead and finish because I'll come back to that. Okay. But uh, I do want to uh, call attention to the fact that uh, Will and his uh and his co-filmer filmmakers have reached the stage in that project where they need to start traveling around the country to interview some people outside of their region. Um, they've got quite a list of people lined up, uh, and I think it's really going to going to put this whole thing over the top. Um, but they they need a little bit of help financially to do this, and so they are inviting people who are um, you know enthusiastic about the project to make donations uh, to a pilot story. And so you can go to their website, apilotstory.com, if you're so inclined. Uh, and uh, check out the trailer and uh, perhaps make a little donation to help this project move forward. I think it's going to be a great thing. I think it's great, great, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but uh, addition to the history of aviation. Um, I think this is going to be a document that will will uh, live for a long time. Jeb, what were you going to say? Well, there there is a, a um, I just got my issue last night of uh, the current uh, Air and Space Smithsonian magazine. Uh-huh. 
which is uh, those who are not familiar, it's a every other month publication by the Smithsonian Institution that's focused on the Air and Space Museum uh, and its various activities. It's uh, you know there's always something in there about vintage airplanes. There's always something in there about spacecraft. There's always something in there about uh, warbirds. Um, it's it's a it's a great little magazine. Um, this month's edition. <clears throat> There's a letter to I can't even talk. There's a letter to the editor um, talking about a previous issue um, that made the cut, signed by someone named Will Hawkins. Oh, really? And Menlo Park, California, is I believe the uh, the address. And I'm sure that it's 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 uh, uh, our old friend Will Hawkins. So. Interesting. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, so I, I just thought I'd mention that. You, you, you brought it up first, and, and I remember that kind of jogged my memory. I was reading it last night. We'll have to dig that out and see if that's Will. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Any other shout-outs? All right, then. Fork, me with a fork, fork I'm done. In. All right, then. Stick the fork in, I am done. Thank you, Jeb. Jeb Burnside is an aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. And you can learn more about Jeb and his work at jebburnside.com, also aviationsafetymagazine.com, and avweb.com. And uh, thanks to Dave. Dave Higdon is an Wait, 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 Jack, I'm really beginning to worry about him. I think it's the sunshine and proximity to I know, really. Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer. He's a senior editor for Kit Planes Magazine and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Learn more about Dave and his work at kitplanes.com, avbuyer.com, slash worldaircraftsales, and aea.net. And I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Learn more, more about me at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. And visit us all at the uncontrolledairspace.com website. Check out the forums. Check out the wiki. Uh, the blog has come back to life. We moved the blog out from its kind of hidden location onto the uh, homepage so you can keep up with uh, And we've actually started posting there. That's where Dave posted that great story I mentioned earlier on. So uh, so I think there's more reasons. Watch for ever. more to come. Watch yeah. for more to come. More reasons than ever to visit us at uncontrolledairspace.com. So, uh, David, what were you going to say? I was going to say go flying, everybody, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. And that's right. That's enough talking, though. Let's all go flying. So did right you guys notice? Did you guys notice that I actually just kind of left the podcast for thirty seconds there at one point? No, you guys were I, on you a roll. Quiet. We were we were, you know, just kind of rocking and rolling. I forget I'm, what the subject was, but uh, you guys were on a roll, and someone's knocking at my hotel room door here. All right. <laughs> oh, I thought I heard something going on. Someone's knocking at the door, and I'm hoping they'll go away. All right, but they keep knocking at the door. All right, and I'm thinking, oh, they're going to open the door. You know, it's like housekeeping, and they're going to open the door, and it's going to be awkward so i figured and i and i was tempted to say hold on a second but you were on a roll so i figured all right you know what <laughs> and, I could, and i'm thinking to myself i've been talking to these guys every week for two years now if i just go away for 15 exactly 20 seconds <laughs> if, they go, if i just go away for 15 or 20 seconds they'll just keep talking they won't you know it's like the old story about a guy talking to his mom on the telephone and he just sets it down and mom keeps talking for, without him realizing he's gone anyways i was gone for like